Out with the old, in with the new. Welcome to the Get Real Safety Podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, the things that work, the things that don't work, and try to break down old paradigms to help you improve safety in your organization. Hey folks, this is Pam here, also known as the Safety Heretic, and I've got some things to say today, so let's get with it. Well, I've always got something to say, as my husband and son can attest to, but this time I'm going to drag Mike into the conversation, and we're going to talk a little bit about the new view versus the old view. Sure seems like we run into a lot of the old view these days. But before we get into all that, I know that we have been trapped here in Georgia with a great deal of rain, tremendous amount of rain. I saw a guy building a boat down the road. I hope he's got room for all of us. And fortunately, we both have some good indoor hobbies. And I know Mike has been spending a lot of time in his studio when he can. Just as a reminder, the music you hear on these podcasts are original recordings that, of music Mike has done. Meanwhile, I've been hiding out in the garage with a brand new hobby, and that's carving or power carving and creating some wood spirits, and I'm having an absolute ball with that. And she's really good at doing those wood spirits. She spends a whole lot of time with her Dremel carving and gouging pieces of wood and really making some really cool things. Uh, meanwhile, I've been working my butt off. I've been on the road. Uh, we've been doing a whole lot of stuff with human performance and uh, also spending a lot of time on advanced safety management courses at Georgia Tech as well as the HP courses. But uh, this, uh, we're trying to squeeze in a little time to get another podcast in here. So we, we've made a commitment to do these every two weeks for you. So uh, we're going to do that. We actually may give it our best to try to start doing these once a week. So we'll kind of see how that goes as we can learn to balance our time just a little bit. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the old view. And that falls into two primary different models, and one is the crime and punishment model. We've been pretty big on punishment and safety. And that old view says that people make mistakes on the job because they are stupid, careless, complacent, or incompetent, or a combination of all three. And it ties into OSHA, if you, if you think about it, OSHA being created back in the early, early 70s and late 60s, the thinking to, identify, you know, to punish people, basically, for making mistakes. And so we make rules, we enforce the rules, we punish those violators, and we actually have, you know, again, OSHA, regulatory agency, wanting us to have disciplinary systems, fire them, suspend them, retrain them. I love the retraining thing with a touch of sarcasm you there. But the assumption from that is that if you follow the rules, then you can't get hurt. You can't have an accident. So this all gets lumped into one of our, you know, least favorite things, which is the blame, shame, and retrain model of managing safety. And it doesn't work. Blame is inappropriate, especially in the case of uh, simply a mental lapse. You know, what's the last time you forgot your keys or uh, forgot where you parked your car and having someone blame you for that is less than helpful. Shame, well, that's going to give somebody a real positive attitude towards safety. 
and then retrain as OSHA wants us to do to retrain someone with the assumption that either we failed to train them properly or they just didn't get it. And so now we're going to use training, safety training, as a punishment mode. And that's not an effective thing to do there. Rule enforcement um, gets really way out of whack sometimes with safety. In fact, we typically create new rules every time we have an incident or an accident. And we end up, sometimes it's almost comical where you have people with so much PPE on, they basically can't do their job because we create a new rule every time something happens or a new procedure. The other model of the old view falls into the bad apple that basically uh, people don't try to make mistakes, but they're broken. You know, they're, they're just broken people and we need to fix them. And if we can just fix them, we won't have the problems that we had. We do that, we try to fix them with training, uh, things like situational awareness training. Train them how to pay attention. Good luck with that. Telling, teach them how to be, to be more careful. But the fact is, they weren't broken, and they were paying attention to the best of their ability as human beings to pay attention. And so then we end up attributing their behavior to a quality of the person and not, not in a positive way, and, and that's best summed up, and the comedian Ron White made the, the saying, you can't fix stupid, famous. It was darn funny. I mean, we all laugh at it, but now that's what you hear all the time. Someone gets hurt, you can't fix stupid. Yeah, that reminds me of a particular event. I was doing some training with the company, and uh, as we were doing event learning team training, we were going through some scenarios And the safety guy made the statement, well, you can't fix stupid. And I had a little bit of a problem with that coming from a safety person. But I got to say that right after that, when we got back to the work location, they had a forklift accident. A guy flipped over a forklift. Uh, Fortunately, he was not injured, but uh, did a lot of damage to the forklift. And the very first thing that I heard from that safety guy along with his management staff was you can't fix stupid. Now, when you started looking into the issue, what you found out was the operator was not certified to even be on the equipment. He had not been trained, and he had been told by a supervisor to get on the lift anyway and move a load of material. And the material was actually too heavy for the lift, and he also put the guy under a tremendous amount of rush to get the job done. Now, can't fix stupid, huh? You know, under the bad apple model, that thing takes another form as well. Uh, You also hear a lot of things about somebody not paying attention or if they had cared more or if they had been keeping their eyes on the path of travel. So that, that all falls under a thing called a fundamental attribution bias. That's where we take the last thing in a chain of events and we completely ignore all of the other factors that led up to it and we focus on that person. And then we take it a step further and start attributing that to their personal characteristics. So you get all of those kinds of things about people being stupid or complacent or accident prone or clumsy or what have you. So here's a little uh, issue that happened a while back at a chemical plant. Uh, In the middle of a focus group doing a culture assessment, employees were complaining about lighting in the parking lot. 
and they had slipped, uh, you know, banged up some knees and cut some legs and had some recordables. And every single time that that happened, management attributed to that that person's walking ability or not keeping their eyes on the path of travel or any of those other things that we just talked about. However, one day the plant manager comes in and slips and breaks his leg. Guess whose fault it was now? It was the maintenance department. Had the maintenance department been doing their job, they would have had better lighting in the parking lot. Now, it wasn't like that the plant didn't know about this for the past three years, but it was uh, only until after the plant manager broke his leg. Now it was somebody else's issue rather than the worker's issue. You know, we, we have a tendency to deflect. When it happens to the worker, it's easy to judge the worker. But when it happens to us, it's a whole different story. So why is the old view so popular? Well, for one thing, it's what we're used to, and it's, it's always hard to change. But also because it's, it's easy to blame the worker, and it helps you, the company save face after that's happened. You've taken action. We, we know who the guilty party is. We're going to punish them, fire them, whatever, and that's going to take care of the problem, which is a lot easier than trying to make major system changes to your culture and your processes. A lot of pressure for us to take that action. And also that pressure can come from both the corporate office or for our construction folks from the owners of the projects that they work on that basically demand that action be taken. And that taking action is usually punishing the worker or firing the worker. There is this illusion that if people take personal responsibility, accidents will not occur, they cannot occur, which means that you're believing people have unlimited power where they don't. That old view is really problematic. And, you know, in some cases, punishment might be warranted where it is an egregious, willful, reckless behavior that's not system-induced, and it's not human error. And, and, you know, in some cases, maybe blame, shame, and retrain might work. But when it comes to human error, or if it comes to system-induced error or system-induced behavior, it just simply doesn't work. And that's why the new view is so popular. So what is the new view? The new view says this. Human error is a symptom of trouble deeper inside a system. And rather than looking for where people went wrong, ask this question. How did their decisions and actions make sense to them at the time, given the circumstances that surrounded them, given the work schedules, given the error precursors that were present in the workplace, given the constraints, given the difficulties to get tools and equipment, given the culture, given the leadership, given the work expectations, given the goals that they were assigned to try to accomplish. All of those things create an environment that people work in and very much has an influence on the decisions and actions they make. Here's the bottom line. People do what they do because it makes sense to them. They wouldn't do it if it didn't make sense to them. People do what they do because it makes sense to them. It has to make sense to them. And I don't really care what that is. If you have a a person, if you have an electrician, for example, standing on the top rung of a stepladder, it has to make sense to them or they wouldn't do it. If you think about it, what's the availability of the right ladder? Is the work process really laid out in a logical flow? Is it too difficult for that person to even get to the work area? Have they got pressures from their boss or do they have schedule pressures pushing them to hurry up and take a shortcut? 
have supervisors turned a blind eye to that sort of thing over and over and over? What are the circumstances that surround the person? So in other words, the new view assumes that most of the time people are doing reasonable things, given their point of view, given their perception, given the focus of their attention, given their knowledge of the situation that they're in, given the level of training that they have, given the objectives or the goals that the organization is trying to achieve. All of those things heavily influence the workers' decisions, and if we don't understand that, we will never possibly understand any event. The fact is, sources of error are usually induced by the operating system. It's usually not the person. So what does that actually look like in practice out in, out in the world? In the old view, we think when you ask someone what is safety, they'll tell you, well, safety is not having injuries, not having accidents, and a heavy emphasis on OSHA recordable rates or other lagging indicators. But the new view looks at it differently. Safety is not the absence of events. It's the presence of defenses. In other words, to what degree are the defenses present? What is the integrity of the defenses? Anytime we try to measure safety by the absence of injury or the absence of near misses or the absence of any kind of events, it really leads us down a path of blame and it leads us down a path of complacency. Well, in the old view, we focus on eliminating hazards, and by eliminating hazards, we hope to eliminate accidents. In the new view, we realize that not all hazards can be eliminated. I mean, you literally cannot do work and eliminate all hazards. What matters in the new view is what is the risk, and have we evaluated the risk, and have we reduced the risk to as low as reasonably practical. Under the old view, we spent a lot of our time in safety on safety program elements like inspections. Inspections don't solve problems. Inspections identify an unsafe condition and check that we correct the unsafe condition without ever focusing on what went wrong in our system that allowed, encouraged that unsafe condition to exist. Or incident investigations. Investigations, that's a word we try not to use with the new view, where we're basically trying to find fault at most times. Yeah, that old view is kind of a programmatic approach. And just the term programs is problematic. Safety can't be a program. And the fact of the matter is, just looking at broken parts and pieces within the organization doesn't look at the organization as a whole. It doesn't look at the interaction and the relationship between the different pieces. It doesn't look at the social interactions. It doesn't look at the decisions that are made. It doesn't look at how the organization is drifted into complacency. It doesn't look at any of those things other than just finding little broken regulations and broken rules and broken supervision, which just is counter to what human performance is about. Human performance is about the complex relationships between all of those pieces. After an event has occurred, the old view focuses on the root cause analysis process. The problem is, rarely do you have a single root cause. Root cause was designed for mechanical failure, to find broken parts and pieces and, and, and fix those. 
it's much more complex in a human system. So, you know, here's another one on root cause analysis. One of the techniques that people have to use is the five whys. If you ask why enough times, you will get to the magical answer that will fix everything. And that's false. That's not true. Ask five whys, ask ten whys, you're probably not going to get to what the system failures are that are behind the event that occurred. What we want to know in the new view is how. How do the actions that were taken make sense to the worker as events were unfolding around them? We try to get up front and start from the beginning of the day or the beginning of the work process rather than looking at it in the rearview mirror with root cause analysis, which means after the event, we look back in time and all along the way, we look at where someone should have, could have, or would have done something differently that would have changed the outcome. But for crying out loud, if he knew what the outcome was going to be, he would have changed what he was doing too, but he didn't. He couldn't. But in hindsight, it always looks different. We have to have a different relationship with workers that allows them to trust us enough to tell us what were the things that went wrong, what were the things that went right, and how the actions of those folks in the workplace made sense to them at the time. Let me just jump in there a minute, Pam. You know, this is sort of a sticky point with a lot of people. Uh, those folks who are really steeped in root cause analysis have a hard time with this. And first, let me just say that if a company is doing root cause analysis, well, I applaud them. It's much better than what a lot of folks are doing out there. The old traditional uh, investigative type processes that don't even look at uh, some of the, the system issues. Root cause does look for broken system components. However, Human failure is much messier than that. It's about the interactions of everything that goes on in an organization. The other reason that the new view event learning or incident analysis process differs from root cause analysis is it does not start with the event and work backwards. Root cause analysis is a linear process that starts at the event, it works backwards, and it breaks things down into small components. The difference with human performance incident analysis is that instead of deconstructing the event, we construct the event. We start way before the event occurred, and we put ourselves in the shoes of the workers and understand what were they going through, what were their pressures, what were their constraints, what were the error precursors that existed, what were the organizational weaknesses that caused them to make the decisions that they made. Until we understand that, we will never understand an event. One of the other major differences between root cause and HP analysis is that in, in root cause, we often find a person, a lot of times it's a safety person, trying to do a root cause analysis in their office, in their cubicle, all by themselves. That's impossible. That's why event learning requires the people doing the work to do the learning and mainly to help us learn. And that's a huge issue. People who don't do the work or who never have done the work can't possibly understand the complications, the complexities, the degree of risk, 
the hazards that are encountered moment by moment uh, during the work. And what that leads to is identifying symptoms rather than causes. When people don't understand all of the intricacies that cause people to make the decisions they make, they default back to the cause being an unsafe act or an unsafe condition. Well, here's the problem with that. Here's a cardinal safety management principle. Unsafe acts and unsafe conditions are not causes. They're symptoms. They're symptoms of a deeper issue within the organization. You know, it's no different than if you have tuberculosis and you go to the doctor and say, my chest is hurting, I'm coughing up blood, and I'm running a fever. And the doctor writes a prescription for those things. Well, the disease is still there. The doctor did not diagnose the underlying disease that was leading to those symptoms. As long as they take the medication, the symptoms will get better. But the disease is still there. Well, similarly, when we use these old traditional investigative methods and even root cause methods that sort of devolve into blaming the employee or identifying an unsafe act or an unsafe condition, all we're doing is identifying symptoms, not really looking at the deeper issues that are leading to that. And here's what that does. It sets a trap up for somebody else. Those same underlying organizational weaknesses are still there. Another old view tactic here is that if we, especially post-event, is if we didn't have a procedure for that that meets that circumstances, well, we write a procedure and that that's going to fix that. Well, procedures are important. Procedures can be, you know, part of our HP tool to have a checklist, if you will, to go by step by step. But that's assuming that those procedures are written by the people who do the work and then actually understand the work, rather than back to that cubicle dweller who's writing that uh, in their office, not having a clue how the work is actually done. So not only do you have a faulty procedure, but you have the fact that people are going to take shortcuts. That's a fact. You do it. I do it. Everybody does it. So people violate procedures, and there are a lot of underlying reasons why they do that. Number one is that they find a quicker, better way to do the task. And, and that's normal. That, that's normal human process if we think, oh, there's a shorter way we can get this done. But it's an insidious problem that occurs where you take a little shortcut, you get positive reinforcement because you got the job done quicker. You got praise for getting the job done quicker. Nobody's auditing you or watching you to, or going through with you to see if the procedure is actually being followed. And then you add to that, if you have a cubicle dweller that created the procedure who doesn't know anything about the work and they wrote a procedure that doesn't even make sense, then it's a lot more likely someone's going to violate that procedure because they lose total respect for the procedure. So we can expect deviation for procedures. The way we fix that is, A, we have the people who do the work create robust, healthy procedures, and C, we got to have folks from supervisors to safety people and so on who are auditing those procedures to see that we haven't had deterioration because otherwise the normal human inclination to save time and effort will overweigh that and you'll end up with steps getting shortcutted. You know, getting back to what we were talking about of unsafe acts and unsafe conditions being symptoms, not following a procedure is a symptom. It's not a cause. But oftentimes, that's the outcome of one of these traditional, quote, investigation, unquote. A question we like to ask in training 
is how long would it take you to find a worker not following a procedure? Most people answer that question not long, only a few minutes. So the question then becomes, if we know that people are not following procedures, and we know that that's going on a lot, when an event occurs, why do we identify the cause as not following a procedure? I mean, come on, it's almost insane. Get real. So in the old view, when it comes to safety and performing safety, it's typically owned by the safety department, which is not where it needs to be owned. But it's seen as the job of the safety department and and not the job of the rest of the organization. Who should own safety is, is the operations side. It's their safety program. It's their processes. Safety is there as a resource. Resource, technical advisor, they don't have the authority. They don't have the hammer. They don't have the means of making decisions often that are necessary to make changes. Well, there's a whole lot more that we can say about this whole topic of the difference between the old view and the new view. And in future podcasts, we will do a whole lot of that. However, Pam wants to go carve some wood spirits, and she's giving me this look like, can we wrap this up? So I guess we'll call it a day for this one today. All right, folks. Well, I'm out of here and ready to head head to the house and head to the garage. So stay safe out there, stay dry, and until next time. And do us a favor and tell all your friends about this podcast, and please subscribe. Uh, Also, we've got a new YouTube channel as well. Subscribe to that and help us get the word around. Let's change the world for the better.